So we're in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 today. Um, but yeah, I figured we would look at Matthew's account since we're going to be going through that passage in Luke here in several weeks. So we will... Uh, the passage we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. I'm going to read... <clears throat> am, I, am I too loud? Does this sound okay? I can just... I can hear it more than usual. But you guys are good with it. I think it's... I think it's the behind you. Okay. Alright, so Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, guys. I'm going to read Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. It says this in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, Lord, I just ask for Your your blessing upon Your Word today, God. I pray, Father, that You will... Um, Lord, that You will go forth with power from Your Holy Spirit, Lord, and, and minister to the hearts of Your people here today, God. That, Lord, you will, you will communicate to them out of this passage exactly what You want us to hear. And, Lord, I pray, God, that I would not get in the way. Lord, I pray that You would use me today to, to feed Your sheep, Lord. Lord, we, we love You, and we pray most of all, God, that Christ would receive all the glory today. And it's his, in His name we pray. Amen. Alright. So God's greatest gift. I always, have, uh, I always enjoy, sometimes it's a struggle, but I always enjoy try, you know, coming up with a title of a sermon. It's like you're, you give birth to it. You know, you work through a passage. And that's what... That's what I was thinking of in this. I mean, obviously we understand Christmas, um, the gift that God sent us in His Son, and it's God's greatest gift, guys. And as we're going to see, the reason it's God's greatest gift is because it's, it's for our greatest need. Right? I mean, he, God meets us at our greatest point of need. We need a Savior. And so He sent a Savior to us. You know, God gives all kinds of good gifts to us. Everything we have that is good in life is a gift from God. You guys are probably familiar with uh, James chapter 1, verse 17. James tells us every good thing and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So just think about many of the gifts that you guys have. Many of the gifts we have, whether it's your spouse, your children, friends, family, um, you know, the ability to earn wealth, money. We have to have money to live. And it's all a gift from God. And so what I want us, what I want all of you and myself included, you know, when we, when we walk out of here today, God, I, I, guys, I just want us to be just extra thankful 
for God's greatest gift. But, but to think about these gifts that God gives us. Obviously, it says every perfect gift. We know that the best gift, matter of fact, in the very next verse in James, it's talking about the new birth. And so we know that's the most perfect gift. That is the gift of all gifts, is the, the new birth in Christ. But when you think about all of these things that we have in life, and all every time we sit down to eat a meal, all of these things come from God, guys. Our very life, our health, the wealth we have, friends, family. I tell you what else is a, is a gift, guys. How about trials? Trials are a gift. You know, I, I like... I, I like, I like seeing when you, when you raise kids and, and they begin to mature when they get older and, and they appreciate the gifts that they, that they receive that they need. And so that's, that's what I'm thinking of in, the, in this sermon as God meets our, 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 our greatest need. But when I think about trials coming into our life, and that's the context of James chapter 1, God brings trials into our life. He brings them, but He does it for our good. He does it to make us more like Christ. So, you know, the world... The world could probably recognize that some of these things that I mentioned were gifts from God above. But I don't think, I don't think somebody that, that really that has not been born again and, and is walking with Christ could understand how trials can be such a gift from God. You know, because through trials, God reveals things about ourselves that we need to know. So, so I'm just getting our minds thinking about gifts. But today we're going to talk about... the. The gift that we need the most that God provided, God's greatest gift. And so we're just gonna we're just gonna zoom in on, on verse twenty one today. That's one of my I, I just grow to love this verse more and more and more. There's so much in this verse, as we're gonna see. Verse twenty one, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Of course, this is the angel talking to Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we're just going to walk through this, this one verse today, guys. That's all we're looking at. Um, on the back of your bulletin, just a few quick points we're going to go through. And the first of all, we're going to see that the, the, the gift of the Son, right? This is rather obvious. I'm not revealing to you anything that you don't know. But obviously, the Son is the gift. Amen? I mean, He is the gift. The gift of the Son is point number one. You know, we see that in this text in verse 21. We see the son. She, she will bear a son. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall, shall be with child and bear a son. We even see who the son is in that verse. It's God with us. God with us. It's God the son, the second person of the triune God. We see it in verse 25. Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. I don't think I'm revealing anything to you that the gift is the Son of God. What does 1 John 5.12 tell us? He who has the Son has life. Very simple, but very foundational. Right? I mean, the Son is the gift. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't even have life. And that's the message we need to be proclaiming to the world. That he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. This is the one He sent into the world, the Son. The passage we, uh, that Gerald preached to us last night that we looked at earlier. Isaiah 9.6 for a, for a child would be born to us a son. So the gift is the Son. The gift is the Son. And, and, as, and as John told us, it's really that simple, guys. 
He who has the Son has life. There's no works attached to this. It doesn't say he who is baptized has life. He who prays to Mary, he who comes through the whatever system, you know, he who attends Mass a certain amount of times, he who feeds the poor, he who has the Son has life. That's why this gift is so glorious. It's in His Son. You know, I saw a Facebook post, I think earlier this week. I don't even know who the guy was. But it just said, define, basically, it said, define Christianity. What separates Christianity from everything else? It's this very thing. It is finished. He who has the Son has life. Christ finished it upon the cross. This is, this is the one that God sent. This is the gift that we're, that we're remembering today. And of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I know point one is rather obvious, that the, that the gift is the Son. But it is. And you know the world even knows this, in a sense. Do they not? Does, does not the whole world, um, by and large, kind of stop what they're doing for this day? You drive by and the restaurants are closed? Because they understand they understand in a sense that, yeah, we're celebrating Christmas. It's about the Son of God. And so they, they know these things. They, they know about the Son, but they don't know the Son experientially. And so this is why this is so glorious for you and I, guys, that we don't, we don't, we don't only know about Him. We, we, we don't only know about John 3.16 from afar, but we have experienced it if you know Christ. You know the Son. This is eternal life. Not to know about Him, but to know the the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the gift is the Son. The gift is the Son. Secondly, we see the giving of His name. His name means something. The giving of His name. She will bear a son, right? The gift is the Son. And and, and the angel told Joseph, Joseph, you shall call His name Jesus. You should call His name Jesus. Just like most of the world knows about the Son, a large part of the world even knows His name. Jesus. You ever think about that name, guys? First of all, as a Christian, is it not the most glorious name? I love the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. But that name, when I think about what it represents, that He saved my soul... And your soul, if you know Him, from an eternal hell. The name of Jesus Christ. You know, um, I've gotten to where really the last several years, when I, when I hand out a gospel tract to somebody, and I'm not talking about necessarily in a sense where you're, where you're out on the streets and people are just passing by, but like when you're, when you're able to just hand one to somebody one-on-one and you got a minute with them, you know, I used to say, hey, this is a gospel track, but I felt like you had to explain what that was. So I just got to where I say, hey, hey, can I give you one of these? And about that time I say, it's got a message about Jesus Christ. I just love saying His name. And His name, does His name not get all kinds of reactions? The name of Jesus. It gets all kinds of, of reactions. Many times the name of Jesus is nothing but the butt of jokes. Unfortunately, when you're sitting in a break room at work, you just get out in the world and it's, it, it really is. It, it grieves the Christian's heart 
that this very one that you're that you're that you're literally using as a joke or maybe a cuss word is the very one you're going to stand before. The name of Jesus. It just brings forth probably more than any name ever given to anybody. The name of Jesus Christ brings more reaction than any other name. You know, carrying the cross. We'd carry the cross out and we'd preach. And you carry that cross. You didn't have to say a word, right? Because our, our culture knows what that cross, who it's about. And just carrying the cross, you could hear it, Jesus, in a mocking tone. The name of Jesus Christ. Very mocking. Again, some people use His name just as a, as a filth word. As, as Ray Comfort says, they replace a four-letter filth word with the name of Jesus to express disgust. And you know, have you ever thought about that, guys? Why, why don't they use the name of Mary in vain? Why don't they use the name of Muhammad in vain? The false prophet Muhammad. Why don't they use the name of Buddha in vain? You guys ever think about that? I ask people that. When I say, you ever use God's name in vain? Yeah. How come you don't use so-and-so's name in vain? You know what I think it is? I think it's very simple. We're made in the image of God. Jesus said all of these things come out of the heart. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, blasphemy. It's natural for a depraved person who comes in this world with a sin nature to naturally use the name of God in vain. That's my only explanation for it. It just comes out. There's one true God. There's not multiple gods. And so the, the sinner who is in hostility to God just naturally uses God's name in vain. His name, the name above all names. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes the name of Jesus, it'll just silence a room. You ever been in that setting? Bring up the name of Jesus or maybe somebody else does and everybody just gets quiet. The name, that name. Oh, there's something about that name. I remember many years ago, Trisha and I watched a documentary. I think Jamie watched it with us. It was a documentary on like heavy metal music or just rock and roll. And just how, it was fascinating just how demonic that stuff really is. And it, and it occurred to me, this was several hours we would watch it, that these, that, that, that it, would, it would just give insight how, how demonic, how satanic it was. And you know whose name they always came after? The name of Jesus. Again, it was never directed towards Muhammad or any, any of these false prophets, false gods. The name of Jesus. You know why, guys? Because the demons know who Jesus is. Sinful men hate, the, the Bible tells us, we have a hatred towards Christ, whether people realize it or not. Jesus said, you know, I testify to the world that their deeds are evil and they hate me for it. And we know the demonic world, they know who Christ is. Flip over to, uh, flip over to Luke chapter 8. You know, we're, going, we're fixing it. Well, we started Luke last week. So I just told myself, I'm, I'm reading three chapters of Luke every day. Okay, so that takes eight days to read through the Gospel of Luke. So I'm going to do that the whole time we're in Luke. And so, you know, you do that and you, you just, you kind of get familiar with passages. And there's many passages like this in the Gospels. But look at Luke 8, verses 26 through, through 28, and then or basically through 31. But look at this, guys. Luke 8, 26, 28. 
They sailed to the country, this is the demoniac, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, was not living in a house, but in tombs, in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. Many instances like that in the Gospels where these demons, they know who Christ is. They even have a good profession of faith. You're the Son of God. They know who He is. Verse 31, they were imploring Him not to command them to go away into the abyss. They know He's Lord. They know He has authority. Anyway, so, uh, so we see the name of Jesus causes all kinds of reaction. The demons knew. The demons now, guys, know exactly who Jesus is. You and I, we live in a physical world, but I don't think we have any idea, how, even as Christians, the reality of the spiritual world that we can't see. Demons, angels, those type of things. These are the same demons that roamed the earth back then. They know who the Son of God is. Guys, we, we have to remember that as, as Christians, okay? We, we go out into this world with the authority of Jesus Christ, right? He sends us out into this world to proclaim the Gospel. He says we're going out like sheep among wolves. We should not be surprised. We should not be intimidated when we get pushback from the world. From a world that hates Christ, from the demonic world that knows who Christ is and hates Christ, remember whose you are. Don't be intimidated. It stirs up demons. The name of Jesus stirs up the demonic realm and it makes sinners angry. I think about the man, Angela, who came up several weeks ago at the bus station. Just raging. I mean, what do we preach when we go there? We, we preach the name of Jesus. It's broadcast. <laughs> so everybody can hear it. And this man walked all the way. He made a long walk. And he, and he was just, I don't remember exactly what his words were, but it was like, I hate what you're saying. Stop it. What were we saying? Jesus is Lord. Come to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no, we're not going to stop it. And he, and he came and he just he had, to, he had to express his anger. And I think that man, like many people down there, and like many people everywhere, I think he was demon-possessed. You know, you think, well, drugs, guys... Drugs and demons go together. You just open yourself up. It's, 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 it, it, it was just, that was a very good example of that. That there was just a hatred for the name of Christ. He had to go dump our table over. He had to find something to throw through his, through his cell phone. I mean, from like me to you guys. Just angry. Stop with that name. No, we're not going to stop. The name of Jesus, guys. Acts 4.18 Peter and John were, were preaching the authorities. It says when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's like, what is it with Jesus? He can forgive your sin, but men get so angry. Why is that, guys? Because men know that Jesus confronts sin. That's the heart of it. The cross. And you know, we've had people tell us over the years, it's... it's we want you all to stop preaching it, but it's not about the content. 
It's everything about the content of the message that Jesus Christ saves sinners. What is it about this name? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a form of the Hebrew word Joshua. The basic meaning, guys, is Yahweh will save. That's the meaning of the word. It signifies salvation. A Savior. Glorious for the Christian. You know, there were two Joshua's in the Old Testament. One we're probably familiar with, Israel's military leader that came after Moses. He was the military leader while entering the promised land, used by God as a temporal Savior. He was a Savior. Joshua was a Savior. And delivering Israel from the, 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 their enemies, the Canaanites and the other ites of that day. There was another Joshua, guys, a little more hidden, tucked away in Zechariah chapter 6. He was a high priest upon, upon when, they, when, they, when Judah returned to the land after captivity. Being a high priest, another picture of Christ, shadow of Christ. Savior. Both of these guys, the name Joshua meaning Savior, were shadows of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, when you think of, when you think of Joshua, the soldier Joshua who led him in the, into the promised land, Think of him as a general or a captain leading an army, right? And and if you have a New King James or a, or a King James Bible, Hebrews chapter two verse ten, Jesus is called the captain of our salvation, our warrior. You realize that, guys? Jesus was our warrior, defeating our enemies. <coughs> Who's our enemies, guys? Are our, are, our enemy, are our enemies a certain people group? Russia? Is that the Christian's enemy? No. ISIS? No, that's not our enemy. China? Any of these nations? That's not our enemy. Jesus, as the captain of our salvation, defeated our greatest enemy, which is sin. Sin, death, and hell. No... You know, I hear Christians, guys, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, okay, I'm not preaching that, that, that we can't you know, carry a firearm, defend ourselves, these type of things. But our enemies as Christians is not like some other people group, okay? They're, they're the mission field. Even when we think about many of those, you know, uh, just in our, in our land today, just the corrupt government leaders, and all, these people are, for the Christian, that's our mission field. These people are on their way to hell. And so we... We see them as those to take the gospel to. No, Jesus defeated our enemies. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and things. And sin and death, that's who Jesus defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul said. And Jesus Christ is the one that defeated it. Through His um, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. By becoming our high priest, guys. Through His priestly work on the cross, He opened up access between sinful men and holy God. He's our Savior. These men were a picture of that in the Old Testament. He was not only the sacrifice, or He was not only the high priest, but He was the sacrifice. The Lamb of God. That's how Jesus defeated our enemy. By becoming our propitiation. By taking the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to so that we wouldn't have to 
be under God's curse. No, He hung on a tree. We were cursed under the law of God because we could not keep it. But He redeemed us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The name of Jesus, guys. He's our Savior. He came to save His people from His sins. Oh, don't forget that, guys. Without Christ, you and I would be lost. We would be hopeless. God did not have to send His Son. It was His predetermined plan to do so. But He he didn't have to. He would have been just. He would have done that which is right. And all the creation, all the angels would have praised Him for doing which is good for sending us all to hell. But God is merciful. And He sent His Son to save us. And so thirdly, we know that the gift, it's the Son, right? It's no secret. The Son of God is the gift. Jesus, He came to save. He's a Savior. He's the only Savior. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be through Christ. He is the, he is the message we are to proclaim to this world. Thirdly, we see His grace to His people. She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. We see His grace to His people. So we have to ask the question, who are His people? Who are His people in this verse? What is it talking about? Okay, first of all, it can't be not... It's not all of mankind because not all of mankind is saved. So that's not the answer to the question. The Hebrew Israelite would tell you, oh, it's us. Or the, or the, or the, uh, or the actual Jews over in that, that part of the world, they'd say it's us. It's not the Jews only, guys. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 11-13. through 13. It says this. Or jot it down if you're taking notes. It says He came to His own. Jesus, when He came into the world, He came to His own. This is talking about the nation of Israel. He came to His own and those who were His own did not receive Him. Right? The nation of Israel, by and large, rejected their Messiah. They're still waiting on Him. They didn't receive Him, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Even those who, what? Believed in His name. Who were born not of blood. In other words, it doesn't matter who your daddy is or your lineage. That's not how you become a child of God. But it's those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not even us willing in ourselves to be a child of God. But those who are born of God. Born of God. Those who are born again. So it's not the, it's not the Jews... We think of a man like Judas. Judas was an Israelite. In John 17, 12, Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. The man who's doomed to destruction. Can't be the Jews. Because He said He will save His people from their sins. When I say it can't be the Jews, it can't be the Jews only. Jesus called the Pharisees children of hell many times. He says, your father is the devil. No, He came on a specific mission to save His people. Beloved, and before we look at really who His people are, listen to this promise in that verse. For He might save His people from their sins. That's not what it says, is it? He will. You hear that? He will save His people from their sins. That's why I love this verse. This verse gives me confidence, probably more than any other in my evangelism, that I just go proclaim the message and He will save. Amen? He's going to do it whether, whether He uses you or not. His people will be saved. 
Flip over to John chapter 17 real quickly, guys. I'm just going to walk through this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I think it I mean, reveals more than any chapter really who His people are and, and what distinguishes them as His people. How you can know you're one of His people or not. <clears throat> verse 1. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hitting every verse, but... Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Verse 2. Even as You gave Him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given Him, He may give eternal life. You see, there's a, there's a certain people group that the Father gave the Son, and, and He says that, that they're going to get eternal life. He's going to give them eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Down in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. You hear that? Just over and over again. The men whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So they've obeyed you, right? Verse 8, For the words which you gave me I have given to them. The, the people that... The, word, the, the words you have given me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Do you see this? God's people whom He gave Christ are those who believe. They believe His Word. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom You have given Me. This is Christ's people who He's referring to. Verse 10, And the things that are Mine are Yours, and Yours are Mine. Now down to verse 15. I do not ask you to take them. He's still talking about the same group of people. The people whom you gave me. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, guys. This is where it really gets good. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning my disciples who I'm walking with now, presently, but for those also whom believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. When Jesus talks about or when the, when the Gospels talk about here in Matthew that He came to save His people, that's who it's talking about. The people that the Father gave Him. And we see time and time again that what distinguishes a person in that group is they believe. It's that simple. That's how we know who the people of God are. Those who believe the words of God about Christ. So how do you know if you're one of His people? You believe. You believe. You follow Christ. Same, the same way I could use... He's talking about the same thing here. How do you know you're one of God's elect? You believe. You believe. You follow Christ. John 10, he says, I laid down my life for my sheep. Right? That means I died on the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for my sheep. And who are his sheep? I'm just kind of paraphrasing that whole chapter. In another place he says, my sheep are those who hear My voice and follow Me. That's how we know we're one of God's sheep. We don't know who the sheep are. 
until after the fact. Oh, we have one. He believes. He repents. He believes. One of God's sheep. He heard His voice. That's Christ's people. This is who He died for. You will give Him the name of Jesus and He will save His people from their sins. God's grace to His people. The One whom the Father gave the Son before the foundation of the world. And now He sends the Son to go purchase their salvation. And that's exactly what He did. He didn't make it possible. He paid for their sin. Full and full. Became the propitiation. The wrath has been turned away. And then through the Gospel being proclaimed, right? They believe. They hear and believe. What a beautiful thing, guys. Do you believe in Jesus? Amen. You trust Him. You trust Him. You're not clinging to anything else, right? Oh, that's why Christmas is so wonderful. We're reminded that He sent the Son. He's the gift to save me. So I know I'm one of God's people because I believe His Word. Just like He said, these ones you give me, they're the ones that believe and follow you. Or follow me and they believe Your Word. Jesus said, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. I mean, it's so simple. Why do people want to add works to it? I, because the Father lies. No. He who has the Son has life. So that's the question we ask ourselves. We ask others, are you believing in Him? Are you trusting in Him alone? Are you following Him? These are His people. It's that simple. He saves not all, but He saves His people. And then lastly, guys, we're going to see our greatest need. Really, to really just... uh, Because I want you to leave here today just being... And I know you guys are. I know most of you all well enough to know that you're, you're very thankful. You understand why God sent this greatest gift because of our greatest need, but can I just encourage you and remind you? Remember when we were going through Second Peter and we kept that text we came across a time or two? We just need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of these truths over and over and over again. God's means of grace. So let's look at our greatest need lastly. She will bear a son. That's the gift. You should call His name Jesus. He's a Savior. For He will save His people. He, he will. Okay, I want to emphasize that. He will. He will save His people from their sins. So what does He save His people from, guys? There is so much confusion in our world today. Even even in the the church. What, What does He save us from? So much confusion, guys. You ever experienced that? Maybe you, uh, you know, you mention to somebody the name of Jesus again. I, I, my mind goes to like when I give somebody a, a gospel track and I tell them what it is. You know, I'll say, "Hey, it's it's a message about Jesus Christ," and they say, "Oh, yeah, man, I need him today. I need him today." You know, I uh, had a bad day at work, or uh, I, you know, I'm battling some physical problems. What what are they saying? I'm, I'm having a lot of struggles in life, so I need Jesus to help me with those, my problems. Now, I don't want to be like incompassionate at that sense, but I, but I gather from them saying that that they really don't know 
what's in that track until they read it. Okay? Jesus didn't come to fix our life. Now, he, now he does, when a person comes to Christ, He will straighten a lot of things out in your life, but it will also add a lot of problems that you didn't have before. In, in the sense that we, we begin to sense opposition. Those type of things. But what did He come to save us from? He didn't come to save us through to, to fix our life so that we won't ever have, have a hard time anymore. No, there's, there's going to be things, there's things I face in my life that I wouldn't face. My life would be easier in certain ways. He doesn't, he doesn't, he didn't uh, die on the cross to save us in the sense that we're always going to be healthy, right? Wealthy. You know, I don't, I don't want to be, uh, I don't even say this in sarcasm, it's just true. He didn't come to give us our best life now. That's what the world thinks. That's what the world who... They'll even be open to hearing about Jesus because they think what you're saying is, oh, He'll fix my problems. That's not what He came to save us from. We must be clear, first of all, in our own understanding. Any Christian is clear on this because anybody who is truly born again, has truly passed from death to life, has truly believed the Gospel... You had to believe the truth of what Jesus came to save you from. So we understand that He came to save us from our sins. But we have to be clear, guys, even more so in our day. As this culture, as this Christian culture just becomes so clouded and confused. We must be abundantly clear what Jesus came to save us from. He came to save us from our sins. It says it right here in this text. For He will save His people from their sins. This is our real enemy. And everything that comes with that. What comes as a result of sin? You know, I've seen arguments on Facebook. And it's like guys are trying to show how clever they are with doctrine. Like, what did God save us from? And some guys will say, you know, I mean, I always say He saved us from our sins. No, He saved us from Himself. I get that. He's, yes, that is true. But the text says He saved us from our sins. And what happens because of our sin? God's wrath abides upon us. You can say He saved us from His wrath. You could say God saved us from Himself, for Himself. You can say He saved us from hell. Yes, true, all of it. But it's because of our sin. Our sin will lead us to hell. God's wrath abides upon us because of our sin. So He came to save us from our sins. It can't get any more clear than the text. He will save His people from our sins. That is the enemy that we all have. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how healthy or sick you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. We all have an enemy and it's sin. And it will damn people. Yes, it manifests itself in different ways, but this is the enemy that He came to save us from. The battles in the Old Testament, true as they were, glorious as they were, it's a picture of this greater reality that our, our, our warrior came and shed His blood upon the cross so that He could save us from our real enemy. And that is sin, death, hell, 
Like the judges in the Old Testament. They were, they were, God sent them to deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies. Again. And they really did do that, but they were pictures of something even greater. Our deliverer has come. You know, that's what salvation means. That's what, when it says that we will be saved, that's what it means. Delivered. He delivers us from our enemy. Beloved, our enemy is not poverty. Yes, should we try, as the church of Jesus Christ, should we try to help any way we can? Absolutely. We're commanded to in Scripture be kind to the poor and the needy. That should should flow out of our heart. Our enemy is not sickness. I'm thankful for medicine. Amen. And we we should be good stewards. And we should be responsible. And we should... Thank God for these these things that that He's given us in these times that we live that people just a few hundred years ago didn't even have. But our enemies not these things. Our enemies are not just hard times that we fall on. Maybe financially. You know what this is like, guys? You know, when you're talking to that person and maybe, maybe you bring up Jesus Christ and they say, oh yeah. And they start telling you about the problems in life. Again, not trying to be insensitive. I try to listen to them. But, but, they're, but they're, they're trying to communicate that, yeah, I need Jesus so He can help me with these problems. Do you know what that's like? And something that you could tell somebody and, and do it very graciously, but say, listen, I, I hear what you're saying. I sympathize with you. But these problems you're facing in life is like a little splinter in your finger. It's like a little splinter. And, and see, you've got you to gotta stick Stuck in your jugular vein and you're bleeding to death. That's your real problem. Sin. So can we talk about that? Then we can try to help you over here, but let's talk about that. But the devil keeps people in darkness. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. These things are like splinters in the thumb. And so, beloved, we should be thankful for all of these things that help us in these areas. Obviously, money, medicine. But none of these are God's greatest gift. As, as, as glorious as medicine and money and comfort. None of these are God's greatest gifts because none of these are our greatest need. Our greatest need is redemption. Our greatest need is salvation. Deliverance. Rescue. That's our greatest need. And we, and we need to remember that's our neighbor's greatest need. May we never be a church that focuses more on giving the person a sandwich and not the Gospel. If we can, let's do both. Amen? It's, a, it's amazing. People appreciate the sandwich, but they get mad when you offer them what, what they really need. That needs to be first and foremost. And when we can give them a sandwich, praise God. But that's our greatest need. To be rescued from our sin. He is our great rescuer. He came, His death on the cross, He came to rescue us from this present evil age. Galatians 1.4 So that's what God has provided for in sending His Son into the world. That's what you and I are remembering today. And as Christians every day, right? That He sent His Son. The gift is His Son. His name means something. He's a Savior. That's who He is, guys. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And He came as the suffering servant. And He's called us to follow in His steps. To take the place of a servant. You know, what's the best way we can take the place of a servant? There's many ways we can do that in our everyday lives. But to come under the, the mockery, the opposition, the anger of the world, and just say, can I serve you by telling you the good news? I know I look like a fool to you. We need to get over that, guys. We need to get over it. If that bothers us, oh, I look like a fool to the world. Yes. Let's be a fool for Christ so that, so that men and women can hear when it, when, it, when it all comes down to it, the only news that's important, the only news that's going to matter in the end is do you know Him? Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? Because if you have the Son, you have life. And in closing, guys, He came to deliver us. Deliver us. He came to save us. He came to save us from the penalty of sin, right? When we think about this verse, guys, she will bear a son. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. What does that mean? That means He saves, first of all, from the penalty of sin. When we believe in Christ, the Bible says we are justified. The Bible says His righteousness, His perfect life is imputed to us. We pass from death to life. We're legally declared not guilty before the judge. We're forgiven. We have the righteousness of Christ. Our sins were placed on Him. He became the propitiation for our sins. That means the wrath of God has been turned away for the believer. He delivers us from the penalty of sin, which would end up resulting in an eternal hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. But those who have been delivered from the penalty of sin have also been delivered from the power of sin in this life. There's many people claim to be delivered from the penalty of sin, but their life shows no demonstration. I'm not talking about people struggling with sin. I'm talking about people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. My sins are forgiven, but there's no evidence whatsoever in their present life. No, part of salvation is He delivers us from the power of sin. Through, through the new birth, He gives us a new heart. He gives us His Holy Spirit so that even in this life, through His power, we can overcome our enemy, which is sin, in our our practical life. And then someday, you and I will be delivered finally and fully from the very presence of sin. Remember those three Ps. Power of sin, or the penalty of sin, power of sin, presence of sin. That's salvation. That's salvation. And so Matthew 121, this, this beautiful verse, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is God's greatest gift given to man's greatest, for man's greatest need, guys. And the last thing I'll say, if you know Christ, or let, let me rephrase that, how do, we, how do we obtain this gift? We receive it. We receive it by faith. And if you have received it, guess what you and I get to do? We get to, we get to go out and offer this gift to others and say, free of charge. It don't cost you money. It don't cost you. You, you can be rejected by the whole world. That's okay. Jesus, will, he won't forsake you. 
Come to Him. That's what we need to tell people. Come to Him. Come to Him. He, he accepts sinners who come to Him by faith. Let me pray first, guys, and then we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank You so much, Lord. Lord, for the simple text we looked at today, God, but that is so full of so much truth. Lord, that reminds us again, Lord, of, of what is the main thing. The main thing is Your Son who came to save us from our sins. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. And Father, we thank You for this, for this day, God, for this time of year, Lord, that, that, we, can, that we can just take and, re- and remember this, the fact that, that, that God is with us through Christ, that He came, and He came for a reason. He didn't come to observe just the world that He created. He didn't come simply to show us how to live, although He was our model, our example. He didn't come just to... Just to teach, although He was the teacher of all teachers, one who spoke with authority, with wisdom, being God. No, He came to save. And He is our example, Lord. May we go with the same spirit, Lord, the same humility, and, and, and just be able to, to take the back seat, Lord, to, that, we will, that we will decrease in that, so that Christ can increase in our life. That we will be a servant to those around us, Father. I pray for... Lord, just the, the husbands, Lord, that we will serve our wives. Father, that we will serve our families, God. Let's pray for all of us, Lord, in our, in our relationships. Lord, that we will seek to, to be servants and to walk in humility and to walk in gentleness and to, to open our mouths, Father, with this glorious gift that we have, that we possess, and that You offer the world through us, God. We, we are Your means to communicate this gift to the world. And Lord, I just pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit, God, and Your Word that is proclaimed, God, that Your Word will have a, just a stirring effect in the hearts of Your people today, myself included. Father, that we will not take this for granted, God, that, that You are our means, if we know You, to communicate this message to others, Lord, who are in darkness, like, like Isaiah said. Lord, we love You. We just want to remember You, uh, remember you God, and, and, and Your... Christ's death on the cross as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, God, as we, as we just do this as a visual, visual reminder and a, and a memorial, God, of, of what You did for us. So, Father, we just love You, God. I pray that You'll bless these dear people of Yours today, God, the rest of their day, that You'll bless them, God, that they will just have a joy that's unspeakable and that, that it'll be contagious, Father, to those around them. Father, we love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.